My name is Ali. This is a TBR pod episode number 72. Uh, I hate doing this. This is why I hired Rizwan. And by hired, I mean he's my friend and I convinced him to do this. But I am very low energy and he is not. In place of Rizwan, we have a guest host once again for the second week in a row. That is Jatin, returning from episode 666, which was the Delhi yep. horror episode. Thank you very much for coming, Jatin. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you, Ali. How are you? Very good. Very good. Uh, Jatin has been kind enough to wake up at an ungodly hour because our guest guest for this episode is somebody he introduced us to. And uske baad se bas hum games kar rahe hain, we get to speak to her. And our guest guest this week, our Independence Day, Partition Line Day episode uh, is Anshul Malhotra. How are you, Anshul? I should probably apologize, I guess. <laughs> no, they were pretty funny. I mean, the thing is, Ali, we have talked about this before, that my work is so heavy that when you um, offered this mm. wonderful podcast platform yeah. to me, I thought that this will be a fun thing. This will be light-hearted. Mm. So, we'll uh, that is yet to be seen. <laughs> Let's see. We will try. I must say, I am uh, probably... the least funny of our group uh, so pressure oh, kaafi hai mere upar yeah oh, the yeah. other two uh, once again we must mention guys you're seeing this episode a week after the one where i said the same story but we're recording these on the weekend of the 8th is it september or august it's august yeah my uh, date and time is in the us format and i forgot so we're it's the same weekend as we did episode 71 so rizwan's out on work sarkhili karpas is alive or uh, he's busy there um so again you're just stuck with me but we have jatin we have anshul we have an agenda which i i spent an extremely <laughs> unnecessary amount of detail in um but it'll hopefully keep us going how are things going anshul how busy are you nowadays you know yeah surprisingly busy for someone who's a freelance uh, writer mm. um i have been working on the hindi edition of remnants we have been working on the edits of the french edition of remnants oh very good i also work part time with the archaeological survey of india and i'm also trying to get the edits for my second book going mm mm-hmm. um how are things uh, this is obviously up for the past 
five months, I guess. This is also a regular question. How are things where you are with regards to the world being on fire? Uh, I think we're pretty much in the same boat, Ali. Like, mm. India-Pakistan is the same thing. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, there's just so much happening in the world. And I think that, uh, for me at least, what has been helpful is to focus on what is happening in my own country because there is already so much. Yeah. And I think that if we keep seeing everything that's happening in the world, it becomes really overwhelming, at least for me. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so things are fine. Um, you asked about work, though. Surprisingly, during this pandemic, I have finished my second book. And finished. I never thought that I would do that. Wow. It's not start to finish. Right, right, right. Uh, like in, I finished it at the beginning of the pandemic in March, April. And I'm glad I did it then because my attention span is very less. So yeah. I'm glad I got it over with at the beginning, but it's done. Three years later, the book is done. Very good. Congratulations. Um, do you have uh, like a release date or publishing date in mind? I don't know how this works. <laughs> yeah we do um spring 2022 oh okay so it's gonna take a whole like all of 21 well i, I think the virus has really pushed back a lot of uh, yeah. a lot of dates yeah. for the publishing world as well right so things as it is a book usually takes six to eight maybe a year six to eight months to a year to come from like going to the editor to fruition so I think that the virus has definitely pushed back how accessible printing presses are, how much people can work on things, uh, releases, right. you know. So, yeah, I think that it's, it's better to be at a time when you know things may be more settled or we may have a vaccine than be stuck with something that may not even come out on time. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we're definitely seeing this sort of... Um chain reaction delaying effect in at least movies <laughs> um movies are yeah. something that people are like a bit more aware of as compared to shayad longo printing right. or publishing process but okay it's good that you finished um and uh, you mentioned that you were uh working on the translated versions of uh the main book that we all got to know you from initially um, right. So, yeah. what? How many versions of uh, remnants uh, are there in terms of languages? This is an excellent uh, opportunity to plug it. Yes. Which I'm, I conveniently <laughs> have them. So, if you are in India or Pakistan yeah. or anywhere in uh, South Asia, this is probably the version that you may have seen. It's called Remnants of a Separation. Yeah. It, this is the cover. Uh, if you're in the UK, US, Canada, or Australia, this may be the version that you That's have. That's the one I have, It's yeah. called Remnants of... Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. Uh, it's called Remnants of Partition, but they are the same book. Hmm. They are the same book, um, just different covers and different titles for different audiences. And apart from that, we're working on the language editions of it, which, of course, will bring a whole other leadership to it. So these days, I'm working on Hindi... I hope that there will be Punjabi and Urdu and Bangla sometime in the future. We're working on French. So that's very that's good. It. So, yeah, which, which really leads us uh, very conveniently into the agenda. 
um that uh, that i sent you basically uh, the way we were introduced for people who are uh, watching listening and are not aware uh, we did our episode with uh, jatin who has also agreed to join us for this episode this is about the oral history uh, practice that jatin uh, takes part in where he spent a lot of his youth and early adulthood in delhi and went around and spoke to people and he did it with a thread which was primarily around you know sunni sunai uh, horror stories which he heard from multiple people and then pieced together um and usi mein phir as we were talking about uh, oral history ka tradition and uski importance so then jatin mentioned that he was very uh, inspired by anshul's book as well which is primarily uh, you know delving into the oral history side of things where there are objects and there's a bit of uh, material memory wala concept hai aur ye sab so uh, that's how we got introduced to anshul and uh, we tagged her because i got the book and uh, i tagged her on instagram and she saw that tag then she saw us to bas ye hum social media khel khel karte karte hum aaj yahan tak aa gaye um but let's let's start um as i as i always say let's start at the start um you wrote a book in this book came out in 2017 i'm sure it must have taken uh, a while to put it all together but in a very cliched way you grew up in in delhi is it yeah so what was just uh, like jatin um, pretty i think approximately like maybe 5 kilometers apart oh really oh. Well, yeah. i'm at subdivision club yeah i'm at subdivision oh my god me too I'm, oh are you at subdivision i live right opposite deer park that's so bizarre though <laughs> honestly it, the world is like a dot yeah. it's just saying i'm you know we probably would have bumped into each other walking maybe at deer park someday we didn't even like so sort of. maybe yeah but i'm not very friendly though oh uh, okay. in fact <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe that i'm, I'm not interesting only thing nahi but it's it's actually like a huge coincidence mujhe yakeen nahi ho raha hai that's very that's but dekhiye aap dpr board like nokia they nahi ali this is not like saying tum gulbarg mai gulbarg gulbarg is really big oh, samjhang is... is like it's like very small mm. but so um, very bizarre yeah but growing up there uh, jatin also mentioned when i was asking him um sort of prepping for the episode he mentioned that you uh, there was a family business in terms of like this very old and respected uh, bookstore as well in delhi so let's start with uh, your sort of family's i suppose connection to literature if that's a fair way of putting it uh, you know people grow up and all kids grow up like in a sort of similar manner but how was growing up in delhi in that sort of family which had such a strong connection i'm i would expect with the uh, books and history and literature how was that growing up for you say that it is pretty fortunate now that i think about it uh in retrospect because there were just books everywhere and mm. it wasn't just the fact that we had a bookshop ghar pe bhi hamesha har jagah kitabein thi so i don't think anyone forced me to read or even um initiated me into reading mm. it's just that they were everywhere so everyone was reading so i was also reading mm. and i mujhe yaad hai bachpan mein na jab hum so the bookshop is called bahari san and it was started by my dada my paternal grandfather uh, he came from malakwal in mandi bahawdin ke paas jo hai okay. to delhi 
ज्वेलरी Anyway, he uh, set up the shop, and in the first few years, you know, like how do you learn to be a bookseller? Like, yeah, do we know why he opened a bookstore? Like, why specifically? Of course, we do because I have asked. Okay. I have asked all the people involved. <laughs> um, so my grandfather was great in maths, and right. when he left Malakwal at the time of partition, he was studying. Um, he was doing his mathematics ki degree. So here in India, when he came, any business, मतलब जहां भी काम मिला दे डिड इट ही वर्क इज अकर ही वर्क सेलिंग कोल ही वर्क सेलिंग फाउंटेन पेन इन चांदी चौक विच इज ओल्ड एली एंड देन ही गॉट दिस शॉप एंड ही गॉट इंट्रोड्यूस टू दिस मैन कॉल प्रेम सागर हु हैड अ बुक शॉप ऑलरेडी इन डेली and he said that i need your help like i want to set up a stationery shop because just before that he was selling fountain pens but unko na stationery bahut choti lagi is badi si dukaan mein so prem sagar tells him that uh, i can only teach you about books and i think that my grandfather and his family had gone through like many other people had just gone through so much hardship that they took whatever opportunity came their way in the hopes that they would develop it in their own style right you know so the entrepreneurial spirit was obviously there so he said ke ha mujhe aap kitabon ke bare mein zarur samjhaye so every day he would sit in the shop mostly empty shelved shop with a sign outside and log attitude they would say do you have this book do you have that book and he would take a pad and a pen and write down the books they wanted if he didn't have them during lunch time he would shut the shop go to prem sagar's bookshop and take the titles from his shelf he was kind enough to give him titles from his own shelf and i'm sure they had some sort of financial oh. agreement lekin wo kitabe wahan se la ke agle din hi apne customers ko de dete the now this system of pad and paper has survived till date which means that the shop does whatever they can to procure a book for a customer mm-hmm. and usually within the next couple of days right uh, so this this kind of ye tag na tab se tha and the, the system also working is very very old school matlab it's really like a family store tumhe pata hai like everyone on the floor everyone who works there knows you if you've come one or two times they know what you like to read they would more than often put ha- put aside books for you ki aapne pichli baar ye liya tha so it's really like indie bookshop you know right. classic indian indie bookshop so growing up in that kind of environment i remember bachpan mein we used to go and we were allowed to borrow books from the shop but the condition was ki aapko isko ruin nahi karna hai ispe kuch likhna nahi hai you have to cover it with newspaper mm. which also meant that we learned how to take care of books you know like books have always had a very special place for a lot of people i think in this particular city of delhi it's a reading city it's a cultural city yeah it's it's the city of academics indian academics as well so yeah i think it was i was pretty lucky mm. growing up the way i did it it definitely uh, i would 
suppose that this definitely inspired you in further on as well when you were working on the book but as you grew up then you went abroad to study and um but your studies were primarily in art how did that interest come about oh i was never interested in being a writer okay that was never the case like mm. it wasn't ki tumhari family ki bookshop hai to tum writer banoge in fact meri family mein to koi nahi hai writer except for me aur wo bhi by chance ban gayi but ever since i was young you know art was the only thing i was good at and it was so natural and i think that growing up i knew that this is what i wanted to do and i was lucky that my parents south asian parents i uh, did not have any qualms about right, uh, right. my doctor engineer lawyer type banana yeah. <laughs> so um i applied to go to this uh, school called the ontario college of art in toronto in 2017 i left as a 17 year old mm. and you know it's it's a bit funny because yahan pe na hum like school mein to mai badi share type banti thi ki i am so good and You left Mark in two thousand seventeen. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And then, Q. Two thousand seventeen, three years ago. So you're like twenty. No, years. I guess obviously I meant two thousand seven. Yeah. <laughs> <I was> <laughs> oh my god. Wow, she left in seventeen. Book be seventeen. No, no, no. So that's a little. Is that why your faces were like so confused? Yeah. <laughs> I so I was like, you know, if she. So I was pretty sure. I was like, if she's writing like twenty books like this, then I have to just jump from my window and commit suicide because there have been absolutely no, nothing no. in my life. Let's yeah, start over. I left yeah. in two thousand seven. Yeah. Oh my God, this is. This is going to be such an embarrassing podcast for me. When I have my address given, yeah. Anyway, two thousand seven. Hmm. I then I was seventeen, right. and um, it was a real shock because it's not like you're going to any university to study like liberal arts. You're going to study something very specific as visual art, which mm. means you know drawing, painting, sculpture, photography, cinema. I was completely unprepared because everyone over there uh, in Canada or anywhere in North America, I think they go to art high schools. They yep. they they had access to so much. Mm. Uh, resources they have access to so many resources jo hamare paas yahan nahi hote yeah so i was really in over my head lekin hmm. i think that um, i think that i knew that i wanted to be there i knew that um, i needed to i needed to work like 10 times as hard and and not without failures like my first year was a huge bomb right. but um, eventually i really got into you have to pick your fields it's just like any humanities you know you do your general first year and then you have to pick your specificity and i picked uh, traditional printmaking which is um, metal engraving lithography on limestone paper making book binding all the ways in which printing was done before the computer or graphic design came along mm-hmm. which means like on a printing press do you know why why do you did this why? yeah i think that at the time i loved the fact that i was assigning myself to something that was centuries old mm. and it had come into being out of a necessity printing was a necessity and the fact that i would have never learned it anywhere else except in an educational institute and i mean that being said there's no other way to pass it on as well right, right? so eventually in in my later years in canada i began teaching at a university as well for the sheer fact that if you don't pass the skill on people won't know what traditional printing is or right. jo hum word mein hum space wagera itni easily karte and that came from an actual scientific knowledge you know of, of yeah. how things had to be laid on a printing yeah. press yeah 
and I, I really enjoyed that a lot. So, so I became very good at um, specifically engraving on metal, which is basically copper or zinc, and you draw into it, and you use a printing press to do the printing thing. But my work was never really about India, mm. or, or mm. it was was never really affected by where I came from. And I think that was a good thing because very often when you go to these institutions in the West, they try and pigeonhole you into being a kind of you know, representative of where you come from and yeah. everything you write and yeah. make and speak about and think about and eat has to be from there. Yeah, you can only be um, Indian. Huh. Yeah. But I think it really kind of opened my eyes also because in that, that university was a, a fine art university. Indian Pakistani And I think that it really opened my eyes to how little, I mean, how the West perceives us. Yeah. Um, and why we think that the West is a marker of progress. But when I went there, the questions, I mean, and this is Toronto, a cosmopolitan yeah. city. Yeah. Like, Indians. <clears throat> I mean, in the suburbs, but still. Um, just, just Samal, matlab, do you know what a car is? Wow. I'm like, do I know what a car is? Where do you think your car parts are coming from? <laughs> do you have an elephant? Oh, like a personal one. <laughs> but the question, I think the question that took the cake was, I have heard that in India, you lock your widows inside mountains. We, we and, need a lot of mountains. And I mean, like, how could that work? I was just so impressed with yeah. like ingenious nature of the question <laughs> this friend of so, mine so my favorite huh, my favorite thing is so when I go from Jersey to New York I take a uh, you know Amtrak or I'm traveling to New York my favorite time passes to convince person sitting next to me that I'm a I'm a, I'm a Maharaja from Delhi and I have tigers <laughs> in my basement and trust me 60% of time I actually convince people that that is the case I've got tigers in my my basement and I've got jewelry stuck inside and I live in a castle um, and, and 60% of time they get inside and the, uh, my other favorite part is every time you tell not every time but like many a times when you're talking to people it's like you speak very good English for for an Indian right? yeah so, yeah that's right. but the thing is that like the, the fact is that we speak better English than them yes yes and and dramatically Absolutely. We like better English than Right. But what's with the accent also? I think all these shows that are coming out on Netflix and all about Indian people, I don't know why this gets to me a lot. Mm. It's the stereotypical accent. Yep. Super. I think accent is very difficult Exactly. Because like, what do people sound like? They sound like us. Yeah. Yeah. And also, it has to be yellow. Everything needs to look yellow. Extremely yellow. Um, and Haldi also the white people have discovered turmeric and it's a huge problem it's, it's a golden latte it's not a turmeric latte like get your get your lingo right and they so use I was so shocked, much yeah. Haan, ji, I was shocked yeah jaake, you're like it's so good for your skin yeah and you're like yeah this is Haldi dood yeah. and they put too much you have not they... tried their bullet coffee what Both coffee bullet coffee Achha. it's a huge it's a Coffee ke andar desi ghee. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, people on keto apparently uh-huh. have that a lot. Coffee ke andar, they'll put desi ghee and they'll both pick a bit of turmeric. I was like, man, I'll be shitting in the loop. <laughs> the, the bit about uh, questions about India and Pakistan from people. 
Uh, there was mm-hmm. also something that you mentioned in in an interview of yours. Uh, there was one very good interview by the this THE uh, Institute, just got my abbreviation, got my full form, Bhulia. Um, but it was sort of higher like higher education. The higher education. Okay, that makes sense. Um, but there you mentioned also that you, uh, in a way, uh, fell in love with India once you were outside it, which would mean ye Canada wala time. So, so how how did that go about? Like, how did you like you look at it with some new perspective? I, I I mean, I don't think that was the intention at the beginning. I think that um, when you're young, particularly when you're a teenager, you think that again, this is this comes with you know the West being something that you want to achieve, like the, the lifestyle of the West being something you think that you can achieve and adapt to. So when I left for Canada, I really thought. that uh, and i think a lot of people think this way they think that they can become a new person they think that they can reinvent themselves in some way many do try and ha so many do try exactly yeah. and so did i and that meant sounding totally different it meant eating totally different things it it you know it came to a point where you can't recognize the way your voice sounds anymore because it's like an amalgamation of what you want to be and what you are trying yeah. not to be and yeah. everything in between hmm So when I went from my undergrad to my masters when I was when I really felt it in Toronto it was it was fine I had friends I was totally fine being like this new person um I did very well in school I won the university medal the year I graduated so things were really good hmm. and then I came to grad school and I was 21 and the youngest grad student in my year like and grad school is I think in the fine arts is a bit different because people are a lot older. They've usually done one or two degrees and gone to the fine arts because they want to now do something that they want to do rather than something they had to do. Right. So they have children. They are married, and here I was, straight out of undergrad, not knowing anything in a city that was francophone. I went to Montreal. It was oh, all yeah. forms of confusing, mm. and I felt really isolated, and I felt really. Um, like i just felt like i didn't belong and that was also the time when a lot of my professors weirdly started fetishizing when i came from it was like me and another japanese exotic um, right yeah it was it was not racism it was the opposite of that i think yeah yeah and um i don't know i think i just felt like i didn't belong anywhere which meant that the only place that you had to go back to was where you you came from you know that feeling uh, of finding out like really why am i here and all those existential questions that everyone faces at one point in time and i think that being so far away from delhi really gives you perspective on things or mm. anywhere mm. i suppose it gives you not just a nostalgic perspective it allows you to see things from a distance um but when i was in montreal was really when i when you know you crave to a point where you crave listening to someone speak the same language that you speak because you are in this francophone city and tumhe side mein bilkul wahan pe sadar dikh gaya so you're like bhai kahan se hai tu um it was like that i mean it wasn't that extreme but i really i don't think i ever felt like i needed to hear hindi or urdu or punjabi as much as i did in that city and um i think that's also when i realized um how similar indians and pakistanis are because the university i went to was a big university with a little art program as opposed to in toronto when i was at a full fledged art university where there was hardly any brown person mm. 
that also really opens your eyes to a lot of things i think that we are born in this particular construct of nationality which uh, we have to adhere to until a certain point and then we are free to make our own choices about it particularly when we see other options that may suit us better or or fit better outside that framework and you know i think that that's when i really started to realize that i have the choice to shed a lot of things that i have been intrinsically born into that was also the time when i met professors that were writers okay until now i wasn't interested in writing as i mentioned earlier but i met professors that did something called um a textual art okay they they fused image and text in, on walls and galleries on on through light and paper and it was i didn't know that words could become art. images yeah uh so i think that when that happened i felt like okay this is a program that i relate to now but the first few years were really difficult mm, mm. and then uh, how does this lead into uh, your realization of how objects can have memories right um it may seem disconnected but in my mind it was pretty natural uh so it was 2013 and i i was in a pretty long masters program it is 4 years long yeah that's um, very long <laughs> it was very long i also took a sabbatical year that's right but generally okay. it was 3 years um in 2013 i came back to india for a sabbatical because i just didn't have any ideas for my masters thesis and the thing is that i felt I was in a program where I was just making art and showing it in galleries and then getting graded and then selling it and then making it and it was just art for art's sake and I was not invested and it didn't it wasn't fun anymore right so I came to India back to India and I thought ke masters ka jab idea aayega to idea aayega best mm. not to push mm. uh, creative log kabhi kabhi aisa hi sochte hain aur generally idea aa jata hai yeah at that time it was october 2013 and i have a friend who's a journalist in delhi his name is mayank austin sufi he also goes by the name the delhi wala okay uh, for everyone listening please check out his work okay uh he asked me he writes about delhi everything about delhi from and he like the, about delhi ha huh, and i think like the really wonderful thing about his work is that if you want to see a city in flux if you want to see a city literally developing every single day he is the person that you need to go to because he documents everyone from ministers artists writers to rickshaw walas juice walas everyone there's no hierarchy for him my uncle mujhe kaha tha ki my mother's family lives in this big house in north delhi okay. in a place called rupnagar Okay. And uh, their three brothers that live with their wives and children, so like beast look at them. So he said that I'm doing a story on old houses. Can we go see this house? And it's called Vij Bhavan. Okay. So I said, "Yeah, of course." So we went there, and uh, my grandfather's elder brother, he immediately na got out all of these things, mm. old things, mm. and he said that we are talking about old things. So these things you have to definitely see. This house is old, but it's more old than the other things. and there were all sorts of things photographs bookends books and then there were two things that his parents had carried from lahore to amritsar mm. during partition mm. and that was a ghada jisme lassi banti hai and a gaz uh jisse kapdo ki dukan mein fabric measure karte hai na ek gaz fabric right 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 a yardstick yardstick chalk marte 
बचपन जैसी your self into those things or memories of people who gave them to you or where they came from and it means something because of the emotional value that you put into that thing the object is an inanimate thing it doesn't it doesn't feel anything it right. doesn't speak yeah everything that you feel for an object is something that you have invested in it because of your personal history or connection to it so us meeting ke baad i just couldn't stop thinking about these things and the question wasn't just a thing the question was that it had come from what is now pakistan right and what else did people bring and how had i not realized the the importance of something that my family had gone through and when i studied about it in school why did i feel like it was my history yeah you know i think that this also speaks to how history is taught in school yeah you feel like you don't have ownership over that history ki tum sirf kitab mein kuch text pad rahe ho so it started a personal research project in delhi for me when i just started going around and asking people what they had brought if they came from across the border and that of course grew into you know a, a bigger thing eventually acha so all these realizations how do they push you towards the idea that this is there's like a project in all of this so it happened really quickly because the minute you started going around and asking people what they brought um you're automatically met with a lot of very confused faces about what do you mean what did we bring kuch nahi laaye the raat ko aaye the karwa mein aaye the kya la sakte the but then people did bring things they may not have been monetarily valuable things but they still brought things and i think what confused people was the fact that i was asking about things and not the experience of partition which eventually we would get to in our conversation through that thing yeah what i was trying to learn about was definitely what happened at partition how we did not know these versions of history and how were there so many versions of history you know i think that hame sirf numbers padhaye jaate hain school mein and numbers are a very reductive way to understand something that is a human event yeah so very early on i realized the disparity between what we were studying in school and college and the things that i was hearing and it became very clear that people needed to hear these things too because there were things that were about the intrinsic nature of humanity there were things that would affect the relationships between india and pakistan mm. and it became also very clear that the generation who lived through partition generally not always 
but generally were a lot more tolerant than subsequent generations had become so how had that happened yeah and in spite of the fact that you know some of them went through uh, a lot of uh, you know right. ruthlessness on either side you know it's not like it was not like a friendly you know change no, no, no. of places yeah. right yeah. and in spite of that and that's what i hear from my my grandparents as well yes there has been a lot of you know murder and you know looting and they lost a lot of stuff they have seen but at no point of time it was a hatred against a country or the people of the country it was a hatred against you know an event but not a hatred against the people of a country or against uh, a country in spite and i'm sure it's it's same for for a lot of others as well in spite of what people went through yeah i think it's very difficult to generalize that because i've heard a lot i've heard a lot of versions of these events yeah I'm mostly sure. mostly yeah people are as you say but i think that we have to understand that memory is very complicated and national memory personal memory collective memory generational memory all these things can be different and simultaneously exist in the same person yeah particularly i think in the case of people that lost a lot mm, yeah. uh, either family or land um, but i think i mean every case is different so what i was trying to discover was the versions of partition because partition is an event of versions which we yeah. really didn't start uh which meant that trying to record as many people of different castes class genders nationalities ethnicities cultures languages as as i could was it as important to talk to people who had come from the other side of whatever border they were in now because some people probably stayed where they are but the partition affected them too uh, yeah exactly mm. so i'm really glad that you brought that up because people think that partition is only about migration yeah when in fact uh, in fact it's very much about witnessing the event from where you are so my very first yeah. chapter in the book which is the gaz and the khada mm. is about my family who lived through partition in delhi already on this side of the border witnessing what had happened in their neighborhood of yeah, yeah. Uh, modi gate but the thing is that it became very evident that i needed to record things from the other side as well mm. because what you have then is a very flat study of one sided a uh, one sided approach to things and i think um, it's very really sad that the countries that partition affected does not does not have one shared history of what happened so india pakistan east pakistan and bangladesh and england don't have a shared official history of what happened because every single country perceived the event differently it meant different things for different people yeah and it obviously changed the national status of of different geographic areas so what does partition mean on a pakistani side what does partition mean for someone who is now a bangladeshi how did it feel for someone who was born in the raj and went back to england you know after partition mm-hmm. happened these were the kinds of things that i was trying to gain access to i i was just about to uh, there is another segment of people right the people who didn't actually move between 45 and 47 they moved a little before that so they didn't actually see the lot of you know the black and after and after and yeah after. So um there was a bit again thing you mentioned uh that again there was a bit of like unlearning shedding of unconscious bias that you had to go through or khudi went through when you're talking to people who are now in Pakistan or who are now in the UK 
तो what what sort of things would perhaps trigger that sort of thing? So they were, like now these things are going to make me sound like really stupid, hmm. but I I'll give an example. Um, when I came to Pakistan for the first time, it was 2014, and I remember sitting with uh, a very well-known artist in Pakistan, Syed Akhtar Sam. Beautiful paintings. We were sitting in his studio. I was completely awestruck. It was my first day in Pakistan, or second day in Pakistan. Mm. It's so incredible to be in his presence. For those of you who know his work, and I felt so grateful because I spent the entire afternoon with him. Mm. Um, but you know that also meant like I was, I was 24. I was young. My obviously your attention wavers from time to time, and वो ना बहुत बात कर रहे थे. And it was nice. वो मुझसे बहुत बात कर रहे थे. So it was so nice. the thing is after a while i think that maybe i don't know i don't know what happened but i just remember him saying walid saab walid saab walid saab you know and i don't know why see i didn't know any urdu at that time so sure. i was like say that the saab ye walid aapke friend hai kya so he just looked at me he was like he was painting obviously you know yeah. he can multitask He was painting this incredible. I remember this turban, hmm. weird, like huge Balochi turban. He was painting, and he's just like, "Baby, अगली बार जब तुम पाकिस्ताना आओ, तो उर्दू जरूर सीख क्या?" Um, and I made it a point. Like I made it a point to learn it after that. Like, I think that it's a very small thing, and it's such a cultural thing. But it tells you, you know, India में उर्दू नहीं सिखाते हैं. हम यहाँ पे जो जुबान बोलते हैं वो हिंदुस्तानी है पार्ट हिंदी पार्ट उर्दू लेकिन इट्स नॉट प्योर उर्दू सो लॉर्ड एंड इट्स नॉट प्योर हिंदी सो लॉर्ड ऑफ थिंग्स गो अमिस दैट्स वन थिंग अनदर थिंग इज द फैक्ट दैट इन पाकिस्तान आई वॉज दर नाउ इन इंडिया वी लिव इन अ मेजोरिटी हिंदू नेशन वेन मुस्लिम कंटिन्यू टू मेक द लार्जेस्ट माइनॉरिटी बट इन पाकिस्तान I was the other. I was I was Hindu, uh, and though you know when you're there, it doesn't look it, and if you dress the same and if you speak yeah, yeah. the same, it, it's fine. But sometimes in some interviews, this otherness would really, really surface to a point where if someone was talking about the violence that Hindu communities had done to their family, I wouldn't know what to say because this is the first time that I was hearing anything like this. Mm. It was good that I was hearing it. It was really good. I yeah, mean, okay. I, I wasn't shying away from that conversation, but I just, I didn't know. I didn't have any coping mechanism yet. Um. So I remember this one conversation where I was sitting with someone, and they kept saying, "Ke Hindu to bade intolerant hote hain, but toh ne lashay lashay, you know, like kaatiya vaadiya." And I just, I didn't know if they knew that I was Hindu. Mm. Um. So I, I said, "Ke papar, main bhi to Hindu hu," and they knew. They knew that I was Hindu. But they said, "Ha, but you are the daughter of a man." So what is it? It just in my mind that was so complicated hmm. that I am the other, but I am not the other for you. And I mean, I, I don't know. I still don't know how to feel about that statement, uh, especially since that's a family that I have a great relationship with, and I continue to speak to very often. But in In that interview, the otherness became yeah. <laughs> it became so clear. Yeah, like you, like, hamare. I remember my nani's stories of moving from Delhi to uh, mm. Lahore or Basme. Or there's this uh, 
because Punjab had a lot of violence because Punjab was being split. And there's this amorphous kind of entity. Sikh came out. And Sikh, which was killed, And that's a general cloud of just Sikh. But individual banda, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you're a Sikh. You're like, what right. a great guy. Exactly. But if you talk about them, the world, the Sikh. So what does that say? That says that we have the ability to look, to look at the individual for an individual. And we are not determined by the religion that we have been born into. Neither should we conform to the boundaries that are given to that religion. It just made it really clear for me. Hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad, I'm really glad that I experienced that. And it happened a number of times. I heard things, particularly in Pakistan, because for, for Pakistanis, like 1947 is a defining moment. It is the creation yeah. of statehood, yeah. literally. Yeah. You, you are born. The community I'm from, the well, race to hamari itni alag nahi hai, but wo kehte to mahajiri hai hum sabko. Uh, or right. the nicer way of saying it is Hindustani. And because Pakistan, there is the Punjabis, Hindis, Pathan, Baloch, and they all have a province. Also, chalo, Kashmiri bhi kya do, they're separate from the Punjabis. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the Hindustani people slash Mahajars, they have no, uh, they don't have a province of their own. That's why Karachi is very important. Your family came to Karachi? They, went, they all went to Lahore. Uh, both huh. my uh, my dad's and mom's side of the family and then my mom's side of the family moved further to Karachi uh, right. that's why I stayed there in Lahore and in Lahore it's not as much of an issue because most Hindustani Urdu speaking people moved to Karachi the Lahore Valley side of the family is like they're like nearly Punjabi um, they associate themselves with the Punjabis more comfortably and Lahore if you stay in Lahore everyone becomes Lahori but in Karachi it's so uh, like there's so many people yet nobody is just from Karachi everyone in Karachi as a result I guess of there being so many different types of people everyone holds on to their own individual identity that much more strongly like Padhan honge, they don't look like the Padhans from the frontier because Karachi mein dhub zada hai, sab ki skin dark hai, vaise sab gore hai. their Pashto accent changes everything changes but they are Padhan they are not from Karachi nobody is from Karachi that's really sad that you say that, Ali, because so many interviews I recorded from Sin, yeah. Hyderabad, Karachi, uh, places around there, assert Sindhi identity over Hindu, Muslim, or any other ethnicity. Yeah. Um, and second thing, your family is from Delhi originally. Yeah. So you are the original Urdu speakers. Yeah. Original. Here we get Okay. So... <laughs> so I have a this thing to share, and um, Ansha, you said you like at 24 you couldn't see Walid kya hote hai, right? Mm. The oh, no. oh, no. My grandfather started yeah. teaching me Urdu, written Urdu, when I was 10. So Alif, Be, Pe, Te, mm. So, so, so when my grandfather went who he did like many of the people who came from Pakistan, he either knew English or he knew Urdu. Oh. He he didn't know uh, Hindi. Hindi, Punjabi, anything, yeah. So my earliest this thing was so he. He used to go to Delhi Public Library at Sarojinagar because that was the only place where you could get Urdu books and Urdu newspapers. Mm. So that's where I was I was like maybe five or six when he started taking me to libraries. And that's where my this thing of started, even though I because there, there was a kid section on the first floor and there was a adult section where you used to have old newspapers all binding in those, you know, those metal stuff mm. there in old libraries, ah. they bind the newspapers. So you used to yeah. scan through old Urdu newspapers there. Um, and then I just 
build an interest because I saw him reading so much Urdu that I told him that why don't you teach me? And at that time, he was a little bit, I forgot the name, what it's called, which is when we start learning Urdu, like our Kaida. Kaida. Kaida, correct? So in Sarujnagar, at that time, you could get it in station itself. them. So yeah, so that's where you know the you know you don't really you know let go of uh, yeah. and he tried his best to pass whatever he had learned to uh, to my father and to me to. You know, You're very lucky. Yeah, very I, lucky because none of it came to me. One one thing uh, that's a bit going back to something that you mentioned at the start of this discussion. Uh, I'm from Pakistan. You guys are from India, and you have Jan Pechan across the relevant borders. Uh, what were the people who had moved directly from India to England like? What was their view? I I know very few people of that sort. I don't think I know anyone. The only people I know English, uh, British Desis, they're they're from like the Mirpur sort of side of things who oh, had yeah. moved in a separate circumstance. But were there people from like the the central and southern Indian cities who moved directly? Partition Gibal. Yeah, so they would have moved to either side of the border and then moved overseas. Okay. They wouldn't have moved directly. Okay. That was very rare, although obviously not impossible. No. But on that note, there is an excellent book for for those listening. It's called Partition Voices: okay. The Untold British History by Kavita Puri. She's a BBC journalist based in the UK, and her book is literally made up of Indians, Pakistanis, and Bangladeshis who moved after partition. across borders within the subcontinent and then directly to britain mm-hmm. and i think that they faced they faced different difficulties so you're talking about mohajir you're talking about refugee status in india yeah they faced a different kind of racism altogether um from people who had once been colonizers yeah but it's very interesting to note the reasons why all of them went to england in the first place or or canada or north america mm that is true because uh, there's an uh, there's this perception in um, the pakistani community that the people who moved from pakistan to the uk for example or even to canada for that matter in like the 80s or the 70s they're often viewed as being much more conservative than some pakistanis in pakistan <laughs> and the logic that you give is ki ha wo us waqt apna pakistan ka image leke gaye the and they just built more and more walls around it because एक तो हम पाकिस्तान में भी नहीं है और ऊपर से वेर इन द वेस्ट जहां हमारी कोई वैल्यूज नहीं है वी मस्ट होल्ड ऑन टू आवर स्टफ मोर एंड मोर स्ट्रॉगर वेयर पाकिस्तानीज माइट हैव मूव फॉरवर्ड सो आई डोंट नो आई डोंट नो पार्टली या डेफिनेटली माय ग्रैंडफादर मूव्ड इन द लेट 50स टू टोरंटो ऑन अ स्कॉलरशिप टू गो टू यूनिवर्सिटी एंड ही एंडेड अप स्टेइंग देयर फॉर डेकेड्स हम्म एंड वी हियर ऑल दीस स्टोरीज अबाउट नो इंडियन ग्रोसरी स्टोर जो इंडिया जाता था दाल भर के लाता था अपने सूटकेस में और बियर बॉटल से रोटी बनाते थे यूनिवर्सिटी में लेकिन आई थिंक इट्स वेरी डिफिकल्ट टू जनरलाइज ना ये आई थिंक कम्युनिटीज इट डिपेंड्स ऑन द कम्युनिटी यू कम फ्रॉम यू नो लाइक आई डोंट नो इट्स डिफिकल्ट टू से आई वुड डेफिनेटली रिकमेंड कविताज बुक टू पीपल आई हैव इट हियर बट But hey, the reason, um, I, just one thing you you mentioned Mirpur. Hmm. Um, I have done a significant amount of work with Mirpuris who moved from Mirpur to India. Oh. 
Okay. Um, and their stories are uh, horrific. Mm. Mm. They, they are beyond any any understanding. They're just really, really tragic. Um, and it's an area in Indian partition that's not studied a lot. Yeah, and also, uh, just to go back on that, the what the reason I brought up that seventies, eighties wali baat is can we give it this idea that they tried to protect what they viewed as their identity and their culture. This is in the 70s and 80s. But if you do this, like even further back, closer to the partition, but you can recognize. Then you move even further to the UK and where they're like, you're like the first Desis over there and they're like, and you know we left you there and we used to rule you so i'm just thinking it must have been like a like like a lot of inner turmoil as to hum ibq who yeah. are we now and you uh, know i think that people went because of the opportunity yeah right um but the thing is that why is it that when people like you and me go overseas we don't see the differences in our citizenship it's because the west is a sort of equalizer there mm. is someone more foreign yeah. Then mm. you're foreign. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And what ended up happening was Indians, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis, Sri Lankans started fighting racism together. Because they all faced yeah. the same issues, even though exactly. they came from different places. Exactly. Like how many times has it been that I've been called a Paki or or I'm sure maybe you have as well. Uh, mm. I don't know. Maybe um with this face. Uh, like not, <laughs> not you. No, but the thing is that uh, we are essentially the same people. Yeah. And, or at least to their um, eyes. Well, perhaps, and yeah. perhaps to our eyes also. Mm. Like, mujh mein, mujh mein itna farak hai. Huh. this is again like it feels like a conversation I've had with so many people sitting in their homes. Ke farak kahan hai. Yeah. Uh, but I think that the reasons for why people moved overseas and uh, what kind of life they hoped they would get and were they ambivalent about the Raj in India as well? Is is that why they felt comfortable enough to go overseas? Did they have the means to go? Right. What kind of jobs did they do? What kind of jobs yeah. did they end up doing towards the end of their life? And it's very interesting and something that we don't consider a lot. That ambivalence wali baad is quite interesting because Hamaria history mein we would perceive that and they were pushing every but people probably had like normal jobs at that time as well. But Ali, the thing is that when I speak to people, if I ask, I'm not even joking, if I ask people, have you when you were a child and India was undivided, had you ever seen an English person? Hmm. I'm I swear fifty percent of people say no. Hmm. We have never seen Angres to Kabihamne Dekhaini. And in that respect, also the difference, Wali Baat, uh, it's lucky that uh, Sahel, Rizwan, myself, coincidentally, we all grew up in the UAE, in mm. Dubai. And, uh, you know, that has led to us having like a sincere mm. sense of disconnection with Pakistan itself, because we don't live there. Hoge Pakistani, but until you live there, like, you mm. know, you're not, you can't expect everything. Jitna bhi baad mein time guzar lo. But one of the things that we did have was bachpan se, we went to like the regular schools and mm-hmm. usme Indian bhi the or Sri Lankan bhi the or sab the or kehne ko to you know they're like achha ye Indian hai hum Pakistani hai or Sri Lankan hai but they were all like just kids in our school and we became, we have like friends that we've known like we're in our thirties now or atai saal se pachhe saal se we have like people who are Indian but they're friends. Or Gharana Jana we have, or you know, there's still like some of the best friends that we have. And that's something I think that we were quite fortunate, I guess, coincidentally. I think 
even more than you know even and i don't know you know all three of us have lived outside india right um even more than people who have known for a long time my and you know that's and i've been like I've traveled a lot. I've, I've been in Princeton for like almost six years now. I stayed in UK for a couple of years. I stayed in Canada for a couple of years. Just by the and virtue of language. Yeah, but. Just by the virtue of language and food, right? So I'm in yeah. Jersey right now. Jersey is like, you know, it's like more Indian than 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 <laughs> US, right? So you, you, you from. food perspective restaurant perspective right there are like four distinct segments more common ones so there is punjabi ones right punjabi call it punjabi pakistani afghani slash right there are south indian ones and there are one minute punjabi pakistani sab ek hai ha wo unhone say they all sell like like that so right. chicken tikka masala ha chicken tikka masala afghani is a separate one but this thing so you have gujarati you have south indian you have uh, you have punjabi or you know normal indian food and then you have afghani and pakistani now just by virtue of food and language people from delhi or from north want more in a pakistani restaurant or in an afghani restaurant say in a gujarati or a, a south indian yeah mm. of course right? so it's not even that you have you have to know they are like friends that you have known for a long time you know they are not indian just by general culturally you were just born more with the people you you know you i'm not saying maybe they you know others who understand language but it's just a little more bonding in terms of you know mm. culture yeah there's more i guess Chandan, you and I, being from North India, we have more visibly, linguistically, regionally right. in common with with Pakistan than we do with the South or East or Western India. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um. I mean, I often tell people here. मुझे ना Twitter पे किसी ने उस दिन कहा था कि Why are you praising a Pakistani? Um. ये चीजें मेरे साथ बहुत होती हैं. I saw that. Yeah. You saw that. Chalo. Ha. What I wanted to say, I told basically, I told them to like rise above this ridiculous yeah, yeah, hate yeah. that they had. They are going to pass down to their generations. But what I really wanted to say was that if tomorrow, someone Pakistani will come now, you won't even know. You won't even know. Exactly. You won't even know because they will be your kind, they will talk your kind, and you you will really not know the difference. Mm. It's especially if you're coming from north. It is just you. You just can't. Deassociate yourself with with Pakistan or or Afghanistan, uh, for that matter, right? Yeah. And so, someone asked me that when when they hear you speak Urdu or Hindustani, that you are Pakistan, and I always say, "Esa hi kuch." My India is. And uh, they 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 don't understand the "esa hi kuch," yeah. you know, like the kind of equalizing factor. Yeah. मुल्तान From Delhi, yeah. She from Delhi, does she live in the area? Are are you so much? Are you? That's a different. There is a there is a huge area in Delhi. Oh, specifically Multani where Dhanda. people from Multan. Multan. Ha. Yeah. Wow. Multani Dhanda. Okay. So she's from uh, she's Multani, right? And as we love marriage, not like arranged marriage. If people say, "Oh, you mean like they are doing it, doing it," and the first thing everybody in my family said, "Oh, Kuri Multan, so." खाना बड़ा बढ़िया बना दिया। Because Multanis are known for their food. नहीं। 
सो दैट्स हाउ दे यू नो दे डोंट एसोसिएट कि वो दिल्ली से है या यहां गए हैं या वहां गए हैं पिछो से किस पे द कैरेक्टरिस्टिक बेसिकली योर बॉडी फ्रॉम दैट देयर इज अ ब्यूटीफुल स्टोरी इन माय बुक अबाउट जलंधर देयर वाज अ मैन हु हु वाज फ्रॉम जलंधर एंड ही वाज कन्विंस्ड कि जलंधर तो पाकिस्तान का हिस्सा बनने वाला है बिकॉज़ जलंधर में there was over 50% population of muslims mm. and when jalandhar went to india people were very surprised and uh, it took a it was a sudden kind of uh, uh, flight mm. of muslims so unka naam tha abd e peer zada pakistani he had changed his last name to pakistani because he believed so much in the creation of pakistan lekin jab unko pakistan jana pada he was so distraught that jalandhar wouldn't be a part of pakistan that he changed his last name to jalandhri so it became abde peer zada jalandhri and he married someone from jalandhar unke bachcho ka rishta jalandhri se hua tha he takes his car to jalandhar autos wow. he his grandson now his mother uh, unke beti ne mujhe message likha tha ki hamare bete ka rishta bhi ek jalandhri family mein hua hai <laughs> So it is like three generations of Jalandhris, mm. you know? and this is so, all happening in Pakistan. Hundred <laughs> in Lahore, so and this is what my grandmother's obsession was with Lahore. So Lahore girls are like very fair, pretty, petite. So she always had it that if Monday we are going, they have to be Lahore connection. Lahore is connected. She was like obsessed to the to the extent obsessed with that. My father actually had to like shut her up. Like, <laughs> don't say that in front of. So they're getting girls to like sort of get married, and you start your Lahore and. <laughs> What a bad thing. <laughs> um, now that we were were deep into how you were doing the interviews for the books and stuff, the and it and you know as I say, you started getting more and more accounts, and the book came together. Did the museum wala idea happen simultaneously, or did it happen yeah. after? Yeah. No, it happened pretty much simultaneously towards the end of the research when um a lot of up to you know like this is two thousand sixteen. ish and enough people knew about what i was doing so people would come to me saying we have this we have that can you come to our house can you record the story of this piece of jewelry this carpet whatever and sometimes i could go to those places and other times i couldn't but um i just started thinking a lot about the archives mm. in south asia what is the archive and why are we as south asians not inclined to making personal and collective archives So I thought, wouldn't it be great if we had an online place? And online meant borderless as well, yeah. and accessible. An online space where people could contribute stories of aged things, not related to partition, but generally old things. And then we would build an organic archive of of South Asian materiality. So that was the idea, and I basically pitched it. To a friend of mine, uh, Navda, mm. we went to the same school, and we come from similar backgrounds. We are both Punjabi. We share the same last name. We have histories of partition. We have histories of displacement in our family. And I said that, listen, I'm thinking of doing this, but I can't do it alone. Um, she works in the digital space. Right. Currently, she works for a uh, organization called Purpose in the climate change sector. Okay. I asked her whether she'd like to work with me on it, and she more than readily came on board. And so we. put together something called the museum of material memory which has nothing to do with partition let me make it very clear because people get confused uh but it looks at the aged object as an heirloom as an artifact and invites people to write stories about that 
and thereby making conversation with elder people in their family different generations that they might have not spoken to and also getting to know about a time period and an object that they may have seen in their house for their mm. whole life but know nothing about that's so yeah that and, was, yeah that uh, was the idea and the idea that is not limited to just the partition and therefore you know um yeah that's yeah i think why I, did you go for that specifically because even with partition there are so many areas that i wasn't able to cover mm. and the thing is that not everyone migrated in august 47 like i think this huge misconception that partition happened only in the months of august 1947 is is very is sad because people migrated much before and they migrated much after and it took a long time to normalize but i think that we didn't want to be limited to an event because right. there are so many other events in south right. asian history that are equally undocumented because they don't look at the perspective of the person mm. i think what my work does and what the museum does is that it looks at the specificity of the individual experience and i was i was thinking about this yesterday because someone from the uk sent or america sent me a sari picture of a sari with a stamp on it mm. and she said uh, this stamp says bombay 1945 she she her, her father was an army officer i think she was english she was english so she, her father was an army officer and and spent time in india during the raj so she sent me this sari and it had bombay 1947 stamped on it and she said can you tell me something about the stamp and i asked her the story of her father and she gave me a whole account of where he was during the war what he did what cities he went to he had everything like she knew the details of his life and i wrote back to her saying it's really amazing that you know all this but in south asia no one knows anything about their ancestors like this because firstly we were colonized mm. and left largely uneducated and we didn't keep journals and we didn't keep archives and we didn't write things down we didn't keep letters so how do we ever find out what happened in our family how do where, what is the archive that we refer to my great great grandfather was an inspector in the british police in the imperial police which meant that he had an actual post with englishmen and i know this because i have his certificates commendation mm. certificates but despite having an actual role in the imperial police when i look for his name in any british record it is not there i cannot find a single mention of him which means that even someone that has a post is invisible yeah Yeah. What about the person that was just a common person like yeah. how do you find out about that hmm. so i think that what the work is trying to do is to give an opportunity to look at the specificity of experience so that we can have something for posterity why are you smiling like that ali no no this, i was uh, you both smiling this because this i, I was hoping uh, it, sorry jatin i was just hoping to find some way to bring up this topic and all of this discussion has very neatly oh, steered us into the direction of why uh oral history is valuable uh especially uh, in comparison to what people would say as like official history um right. because you know there's pehli like i would say there's like so much scope in oral history of capturing the individual experience rather than a macro view of numbers and borders and events and dates um and but i think the conglomeration of the individual experience gives you a collective experience yeah. as well 
and and there's just so much like oral history may because there's so much like personal uh weight to history yes. when it's when it comes through ye oral narration it might not be precise to the 10th degree or 100% and duration and there's no need for it to yeah. be because it's it's memory yeah um and this is also what i got from our chat with jatin and we're going to do another hopefully yeah he seems to have so many stories we can do several episodes um but that's what i got from his he's his stories are obviously much more recent because they're from his time growing up in delhi uh but i'd say ke yeah this is and also because ye wali baat like you mentioned ke there's no records of all these people but they were still there they were what became history so yeah i think i wasn't as aware of oral history wala uh you know idea and the importance of it but it's it's great that we have come across both of you and your work and hopefully other people will as well um and and you know get to appreciate the value in it too sorry jatin you were saying something no 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 so i, I was just uh, smiling actually because there's another this, this weird uh, you know um, commonalities are are coming across so my grandfather was in british army mm. right and wow uh, ali brings you to the soldiers so conveniently yeah. also <laughs> <laughs> and, hmm. and so i'll i'll probably submit so uh, you're right so you know um one of course you know the, uh, the 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 only artifact that i had that belongs to him from that time is his uh, medal from the yeah his and his, uh, he was part of the northwest frontier army so right. his uh, his medals from um, uh, from from that era and that luckily has he has his name inscribed on it yeah, so on, the have, yeah exactly. on the on the on the frame right it has right. a name inscribed on it but then i think about it and that's the i i lost so much because as a kid i never valued it so i used to collect it but then maybe and we had a lot of stuff and it's not necessarily coming from partition from just the old stuff right and some very you know small insignificant stuff but when i think about it if i had it right now it would probably make my life much more richer so for example you know uh oh, sorry go ahead i was going to say if you have medals you can find out a lot about him actually yeah yeah, right? yeah you're right but, yeah, the military memorabilia is one of the most concrete ways in finding yeah. stuff about colonial army correct and and but like this is a significant thing yeah? but then there were also the small insignificant things. like one thing which i have remember very categorically which i lost is when you know before mother dairy they used to have, when the whole thing started it was some called delhi dugd yojan or something it was like hindi name for, oh, uh, for it, right when you used to go in the morning and get the uh-huh. milk and all token milk token milk not token so token se pehle there there uh-huh. used to be a steel plates so they used to you know oh, wow. they had a number inscribed on it so they used to write that number and give you two packet of milk hmm so we ha- it was a huge like long steel kind of a uh, plate to it so we used to he kept that so he used to he used to love collecting stuff so he had kept all those things like old nibs quills okay. all that stuff but i you know we never cared for it much medal obviously was a big thing so my fa- father really cared for it and kept it and then I, i i just think that you know if this kind of a concept was uh, you know in some shape or format been there at that point of time would have preserve so many stuff that we have already lost acha main ek matlab ka kahani batau completely on the flip side of this um i interviewed someone in delhi who told me the story of utensils na purane zamane mein un pe engraving hoti hai na naam ki ha to initials hote the to he was his family was from kallar kallar saidan 
एंड ही वुड से जब पुराने जमाने में शादियां वगैरह होती थी गाँव में तो सारे ना घरों से कलेक्ट कर लेते सबके ग्लास वगैरह चम्मच और सब पे इंग्रेव हुआ होता था तो उसके बाद रिटर्न कर देते थे सो वेन पार्टीशन दिस फैमिली दिस पर्टिकुलर फैमिली मूव टू इंडिया एंड सब कुछ घर में छोड़ के आ गए तो बहुत सारे साल बीत गए उसके बाद डेकेज बीत गई इनफैक्ट उसके बाद अ फैमिली फ्रेंड वॉज विजिटिंग द फैमिली एंड दे वास्किंग अबाउट पार्टीशन इंस्टाफ एंड ही सेट दैट हम यू नो सब कुछ छोड़ के आ गए एंड हमारे सब यूटेंसिल्स की बात हो रही थी तो सारे यूटेंसिल्स पे अर्जुन सिंह चड्डा लिखा था so then this friend many years later goes to toronto and he accepts the hospitality of a pakistani family and unki table par khane ke sath silver ke glasses the jis pe likha tha arjun singh chatta what wow and it was the same it was them exactly wow it was the glasses that had been left behind in kal wow that reminds me kahan se matlab कौन सी you know a lot of trauma right so how do you you know sort of doesn't it like weigh down on you for like number of days after you have captured it and how do you like deassociate yourself with with the actual you know mm-hmm. the you know from from the the book that you're writing as you know as a book and you as a person i don't think i have a mechanism yet um the thing is i i have to say that i don't actually have much for life um so my life really revolves around my work uh and also because i think that being a young woman in south asia you're breaking the stereotype of what a historian looks like what kind of work they should be writing what is the archive so you you may have to work maybe 10 times as hard as any man but um in terms of dealing with what you hear i don't think i gave this factor any importance for like the first 4 to 5 years of when i was doing this years because it was routine because no one else was doing this because it had to be done because it was time time like it was time sensitive people were dying you need to record it so it is already so hard for the person who's telling you what they went through that what you feel is secondary it is not about you but don't be completely negligent of yourself because you are the one understanding what they went through you are the one recording it and you are the one bringing it into the current day mm. you're bringing it to the current situation uh, the current generation sorry so i never gave this this aspect any importance until 2017 it was the first time i thought of what it was doing to me and it was because i started interviewing meepuris that's why and those stories were just they were so traumatic it was not just your regular bloodshed violence that i had heard it was concentration camp feeding glass killing people cutting hair um slicing throats going through uh the forest for four days licking sand to feel wetness on your lips the stories in that area of meepur are just horrific and i just i couldn't believe that people had lived with these stories for so many years and sometimes they were saying these things for the first time 
to me. Mm. It was such a responsibility, but I think that it really messed messed with me because I couldn't sleep. I couldn't. I couldn't do anything. I just kept thinking it's the voices. It's the different voices, and not just what they say, but how they say. Mm. Are they saying it while crying? Are they saying it with a distance? Are they saying it? Emphasizing on certain things over others. I remember the way people say things. I abhi mujhe sab yaad hai because you're so engaged, emotionally engaged with these conversations. I, just in answering your question, don't have a way to deal with it. I know that it affects my personal life because I have difficulty making actual interpersonal relationships with people. Um, my my life revolves around my work. I don't have. much of a personal life because i don't know how i don't know how to like i told ali before this i i hope that this will be a light conversation because i don't know how to achieve any lightness mm. Mm. and it's very difficult to make friends it's very difficult to to find a partner who understands it. it's very isolating a very mm. isolating thing yeah. actually um but i hope that one day um one day i find a way to deal with it uh, that being said when i realized what it was doing to me i did write a piece about it and i interviewed other oral historians to know what they did to deal with it um people like anam zakaria who is an excellent pakistani scholar she's my age uh, we do very similar work prakar joshi who used to work for the 1947 partition archive devika chavla ritu menon urvashi butalia um alok sarin who is a psychologist and deals with the archive of mental patients that were transferred to india and pakistan i asked all these people how they dealt with people's stories and uh, ali i'll send you a link to that piece if you want to sure, yeah. um share it but people dealt with it differently um either by seeking therapy themselves which i i think is a great idea mm. uh or by distancing themselves from people in their family for a number of hours i don't know i don't know how to be mm. but i know that it impacts how you deal with people definitely oh, especially people of your age like people of my age because what you have heard is is something that many people may not have heard and they don't know yeah. and then you i think unfairly wash every conversation with that same brush of seriousness and you, and you you want to be like i'm 30 years old and i i want to feel like i'm you know a young woman but it's uh it's it's difficult this became a lot more emotional than i thought it might <laughs> But uh, it's, sorry, it's but good. I, I mean, it was a great, uh, a great idea to ask this question, Jatin. Um, and yeah, there was this. My only frame of reference for this is Ajkal. I'm reading this uh, science fiction fantasy novel series by the name of Warhammer. It's a series of. It's like a board game. Uske piche story thi story has turned into like eighty, ninety books, chote chote novels. So one, it doesn't matter what the context. Oh yeah, fully, fully. Uh, <laughs> and, so the in that, um, like there's some element of people who have some sort of psychic abilities, uh, and usme there is a form of people who go around looking at the history. It's set in the far future, and humanity has expanded into the galaxy. but they have lost a lot of knowledge in the past several millennia um to usme people go there these these psychic abilities have manifested and um one of the characters uh could touch something and through her her type of ability was she can touch something and she can see the history of that object 
and um, there's only one character that I came across. It, I've read like a lot of books. Uh, and in there was only that one person. And there was a lot of like, Warhammer names so that you can understand. It's like about, you know, a lot of conflict and violence and all of that. The, when I read your interview, when you said that you had realized that objects could have memory, that's the first thing my nerd brain went towards because that was not a pleasant experience for her because the history of humanity at that point, this is like the 40th millennium. So at that point, uh, all the conquest of the galaxy, that was just more and more bloodshed and violence and, you know, that sort of thing. So everything she would find... Uh, it had some connection to some past conflict or atrocity or something. And that became hard for her to dissociate herself from. So, yeah, I in that very nerd-esque way, I understand <laughs> what you're yeah, talking about. It's, it's beautiful, yeah. Yeah, and it's also, like, it's an understood thing. Like, you, I hope you know that you're not the only person who feels this way because... It would be very weird if you went through all of this and were like, how is chill scene? Like, I mean, that would make you sort of like a sociopath. I don't know if none of this affected you. What uh, a massive accusation on live recording. <laughs> no, if, if none of this affected no, you. No, I know. I'm, I'm yeah. just putting a leg. Um, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I think you're right that if, if it didn't affect you, then it would be very designed. You would be emotionally... Uh, I don't know, I think you'd be emotionally like cutthroat. And you yeah. wouldn't also give the respect to the yeah. emotional experience yeah, yeah. of other people. Exactly. I think yeah. why I appreciate um, and why I spoke to other people that did this work, Anam especially, I know maybe a lot of your uh, listeners are from Pakistan. So Anam Zakriya's, like, I feel like she is one of the bravest women. She, We are the same age. She's someone that I know feels very similarly, but she's also done work on partition. She's done work on Kashmir from the Neelam Valley. She's done work from 1971 going to Bangladesh. So I think that she sacrificed a lot for her work. And, you know, if she can do it, then I can certainly do it. Because the kind of questions you can ask in India are a lot more open than the kind of questions you can ask in Pakistan. Yep. So yeah. I would I would recommend everyone to check out her work. And I think that that relationship that we have is really strong because it, it helps to have someone to talk to about this. Mm, mm. Um. And then I suppose uh, we should wrap because we're, we're reaching the end of people's patience, I think. Um, but before we go, I was thinking it's very important that I'd like to talk about your upcoming project that we spoke about. I don't know if we were recording when you mentioned it uh, at the very start of this conversation about the book that you're that you have finished, I think you mentioned. I finished, yeah. yeah. Um, I started writing. I mean, I can't say much about the book. I'm also waiting for the publisher to make the announcement. Sure. Um, but I started writing this book in March 2017, which was oh, before, right after. No, before Remnants came when out. Just, oh. When he just moved to Toronto. <laughs> yes. So Paris, can you please put a disclaimer there, like a text saying, wow. Oh no, I'll put the whole um, sequence in. <laughs> Oh my God! When you, when you move to so when you move to Toronto at seventeen years of age, yeah. let's just be more specific. Hanji, <laughs> you're uh, never gonna let me forget this. <laughs> Shit. Gigi, tell me. Um. Anyway, so I started writing it in 2017 in March. Even stop laughing, both of you. Who's laughing? <laughs> I'm like I'm not even looking because I can hear your laughter. It is um. What I can say about the book is it is about a family from Lahore who witnessed World War One, World War Two, and partition. 
and subsequently emigrate to France immediately after. Okay. So Ali, really, it touches on all the things that you're interested in. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Um, but basically, it looks at how many families in in Punjab would have gone through this, particularly the two world wars. It looks at the intimate social history of soldiers who fought in wars for the British wars that didn't belong to them. Uh, how they felt, how it felt to see foreign countries like France and Belgium and Egypt. Um, how it felt to see relationships between people, what they ate, the cold, the trenches, the bombs, a different kind of warfare, what they felt for the British being there. Mm. Not understanding the demographic of the war or why they were fighting it, but knowing that there is some some form of loyalty mm-hmm. that needs to be abided by. So um, I think it's very different from from my first book. It's also fiction. So I was going to ask. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't. It's it's doubly difficult. Fiction is the hardest thing. I think I have a new form of respect mm. for novelists mm. because I think that with 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 oral history particularly and nonfiction in general, I think that you rely so much on the things that are are provided to you. So, for instance, you either rely on official archive or you rely on the oral archive. But when I was writing Lemnance, if I walked into a room and I wanted to write about that room, then that room was available for me to write about. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I mean, I think that it's such a stupidly small thing. But when I started writing this new book, this really got to me. The fact that I had to build everything. Like I yeah. was the builder, the architect of every landscape. Everything from the color of someone's shirt to whether my room was round or square or yeah. chimney, no chimney. Like, it's so stupid. No, it makes but, sense. It makes sense. Right. It was the the nuance of, of landscape that really got to me. And also, I think that I just, I relied a lot on what people said, people's words in remnants. And in this case, I had to build everything from scratch. So it is very difficult. But I think that it was um, really like pushing yourself to the limit. In that sense, it was very good. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it may only be out in 2022. Mm. Um, but answering your question earlier about the sensorial landscape yeah. of Indian soldiers, that was something that you yes. specifically asked. It is um, how they felt being in trenches, how they felt being okay. in the desert, what they smelled, what they ate, what their memories were. And we know all this because they wrote letters home at the time. And we have these letters because they were censored. We only have them because the British censor mail. Right. And this this is not a practice that it was done only with Indian soldiers. It was done with all soldiers uh, yeah. of the colony. Yeah. Uh, that they censored letters to see whether soldiers were writing about, you know, locations or things that could get the enemy yeah, to know yeah. where they were. Um, so because of these censored and translated letters, we know the innermost thoughts of what soldiers said which is so mm. rare. And we were talking mm. earlier about the ordinary archive. Mm. And here soldiers themselves are writing this archive and we have it. So I refer to that a lot because I still think that in India and Pakistan, a lot of people don't know the martial history of Sipoys in the war. Yeah, yeah. As far mm. as we're concerned, uh, as, at least in Pakistan, uh, because it's uh, also because it's a Muslim majority country, so as far as we're concerned, Mughal the, then Angrez came, then partition came, there's nothing in between. <laughs> nothing happened apart I from that. I have read history textbooks. Yes, yes. 
and especially actually you mentioned like Pakistan because you know uh, I'm sure you know the stat and I was like I've been reading a lot about the six contribution in World War One, especially yeah. just the six, not the entire this yeah. thing. So while the uh, you know the this at that point of time the six just constituted about one percent of the total right. British India, they con- uh, constituted of twenty percent of the British army during yeah. the uh, during World War One. Right. So that's like really fascinating. Twenty percent from one Indian. Right. Yeah. So, so Punjab uh, actually, like they said, about one out of every six soldiers was from Punjab, and yeah. uh, the largest majority was, of course, Punjabi Muslim and Pathan, uh, many of whom went to Pakistan after. But then it was Sikh, and then Rajput, and Garhwali, and Gurkha. Um, I also work as a curator of the World War One Museum in India, so um, it ties in with. Uh, the other interest for yeah. someone who described herself initially as a freelance <laughs> worker you're very busy so me keh rahi hu na ki itna like freelance logo ke liye to ye lockdown bahut busy hai because and i think also like freelance i mean you guys know this better than anyone that you have to do a lot of like self motivation for freelance right yeah, yeah so yeah um i think we're at probably at around 2 oh, hours at this point <laughs> Uh, usually, I, we stick try and stick to a one-hour episode. Uh, not because the content itself does not afford the extra time, but I worry about the attention span of people. But <laughs> this, I think, was a conversation, if any, have ever been uh, that deserved the full uh, length and breadth of our of our recording capabilities. Uh, Marshall, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I hope this wasn't as serious as you might have been concerned about. <laughs> no, I made a fool of myself multiple times. So how could it be? <laughs> I mean, how could it be? Usually, we have we have two additional uh, idiots who. Ha ha! Many videos they came out. Who? It was nowhere as funny as any of those. <laughs> <laughs> we are <laughs> incapable of uh, of being too serious. <laughs> Uh, but uh, very grateful to Jatin for coming on and uh, yes, thank you, know. you so much and Jatin, thank, thank you, you so for much, your Jatin. very nuanced questions as well. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and mm-hmm. without Jatin, I think uh, we would have been uh, unaware of the work you do. Acha, I did. I have been told that I need to mention this. So when Jatin told us, ke, uh, you know, Anshulmaotra and she's doing this, and I'm now we're on Instagram. And then I tell, I'm like, yeah, bro, this historian, she wrote a book, you know, maybe she'll maybe come to the podcast. I'm telling my wife this. Um, oh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and she's like, who? And I said, Instagram. And I go to her Instagram and Instagram shows you which of your friends are following this person. And she was following you a lot earlier. Who is this? Who is uh, your wife? I also- I, I will send you her. I okay. will send you her. Wonderful. Please say hello. Yeah, to her and though teen, na, like some of a few women I know had been following, if not you, then the material museum of material memory, and uh, what has become a trend in our house. My wife does the artwork for the podcast because she's a designer herself. Don't go Photoshop. Chalana aata, mujhe nahi aata. Um, to what has become her payment is ki when you talk to this person, tell them I knew of them before you did. So my wife knew of you. Noted, 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 noted. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure she would love it, but uh, I'm I'm really tired of having people more interesting than me on the show, and we can't have one more person who is definitely. <laughs> I see. I see. Um. So thank you guys very much. Uh, do you guys want to? Anshul Malhotra is on Twitter and Instagram. Jaden is the Delhi Mirror. He is on Twitter. 
Jatin, your Instagram is not something you no, pay I'm, much attention to. I, I only stock Ancha on it. That's all I do. Bus, her one stationery and her <laughs> fancy furniture and her colored. Jatin, was Sara furniture second hand even better um guys i'm at the mohalapur rizwan pehlwan sarkhel sarun khan always in our heart uh they'll be back at some point uh tbr pod is our group account follow everyone there's there's going to be so many links in the description click on all of them when hum aapke ghar aajenge thank you very much we're going to stop with <laughs> <laughs> बाय गाइस